Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. It has been brought to my attention that last week marked the one-year anniversary of the Methods of Rationality podcast. In addition, I've just reached 100,000 downloads, for an average of just under 2,000 downloads per episode. In celebration, I have put together a video showcasing the many voices and talents used in the production of this podcast. On a personal note, while I was going through some of the early episodes, I realized just how bad the quality was for those. At the time, it did not seem bad at all. I was happy to put anything out there, and I listened to it and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is good, and I put it up. And now, I go back, and I'm like, oh my god, this this is terrible. How can people listen to this? So... I wanted to say thank you to everyone for sticking with me as I've learned and grown. I'm almost tempted to go back and re-record some of those, but I just don't think I can. Time permitting, I'll probably update the earlier episodes with some noise reduction, but no major reworking. Thank you everyone, I'm looking forward to another year of Methods of Rationality, and please enjoy this week's episode. Second Half of Chapter 47 Personhood Theory Harry listened with increasing worry and dismay. Harry had been prepared, he thought, to take the blood-pierced side of the story with a grain of salt. The trouble was that even after you added an enormous amount of salt, it still didn't sound good. Dumbledore's father had been convicted of using unforgivable curses on children and died in Azkaban. That was no sin of Dumbledore's, but it would be a matter of public record. Harry could check that part and see whether all of this had been made up out of thin air by the blood purists. Dumbledore's mother had died mysteriously shortly before his younger sister died in what Aurors had ruled to be murder. Supposedly, that sister had been brutalized by muggles and never spoken again after that, which, Draco pointed out, sounded remarkably like a botched obliviation. After Harry's first few interruptions, Draco had seemed to pick up on the general principle and was now presenting the observations first and the inferences afterward. So you don't have to take my word for it, said Draco. You can see it, right? Anyone in Slytherin can. Dumbledore waited to fight his duel with Grindelwald until the exact moment when it would look best for Dumbledore. After Grindelwald had ruined most of Europe and built up a reputation as the most terrible dark wizard in history, and just when Grindelwald had lost the gold and blood sacrifices he was getting from his muggle pawns and was about to start heading downhill. If Dumbledore was really the noble wizard he pretended to be, he'd have fought Grindelwald long before that. Dumbledore probably wanted Europe ruined. It was probably part of their plan together. He only attacked Grindelwald after his puppet failed him. And that big flashy duel wasn't real. There's no way two wizards would be so exactly matched that they'd fight for 20 whole hours until one of them fell over from exhaustion. That was just Dumbledore making it look more spectacular. Here, Draco's voice became more indignant. And that got Dumbledore made Chief Warlock of the Wizengamot. The line of Merlin unbroken, corrupted after 1500 years. And then he became Supreme Mugwump on top of that. And he already had Hogwarts to use as an invincible fortress. Headmaster, 
and Chief Warlock, and Supreme Mugwump. No normal person would try to do all that at once. How can anyone not see that Dumbledore's trying to take over the world? Pause, Harry said, and closed his eyes to think. It wasn't any worse than what you would have heard about the West in Stalin's Russia, and none of that would have been true. Though the blood purists wouldn't be able to get away with making stuff up entirely. Or would they? The Daily Prophet had shown a pronounced tendency to make stuff up. But then again, when they stuck out their necks too far on the Weasley betrothal, they had been called on it, and they had been embarrassed. Harry opened his eyes and saw that Draco was watching him with a steady, waiting gaze. So when you asked me if it was time to join up with Dumbledore, that was just a test. Draco nodded. And before that, when you said it sounded right... It sounds right, said Draco, but I don't know if I can trust you. Are you going to complain about my testing you, Mr. Potter? Are you going to say that I fooled you? That I led you on? Harry knew he should smile like a good sport, but he couldn't really. It was too much of a disappointment. You're right, it's fair, I can't complain, Harry said instead. So what about he who must not be named? Not as bad as he was made out to be? Draco looked bitter at that. So you think it's all just making Father's side look good and Dumbledore's side look bad? and that I believe it all myself just because Father told me. It's a possibility I'm considering, Harry said evenly. Draco's voice was low and intense. They knew. My father knew. His friends knew. They knew the Dark Lord was evil. But he was the only chance anyone had against Dumbledore. The only wizard anywhere who was powerful enough to fight him. Some of the other Death Eaters were truly evil too, like Bellatrix Black. Father isn't like that, but Father and his friends had to do it, Harry. They had to. Dumbledore was taking over everything. The Dark Lord was the only hope anyone had left. Draco was staring hard at Harry. Harry met the gaze, trying to think. Nobody ever thought of themselves as the villain of their own story. Maybe Lord Voldemort did. Maybe Bellatrix did. But Draco certainly didn't. That the Death Eaters were bad guys was not in question. The question was whether they were THE bad guys. Whether there was one villain in the story, or two. You're not convinced, Draco said. He looked worried and a little angry. Which didn't surprise Harry. He was pretty sure Draco himself believed all this. Should I be convinced? Harry said. He didn't look away. Just because you believe it... Are you a strong enough rationalist now that your belief is strong evidence to me, because you'd be very unlikely to believe it if it weren't true? When I met you, you weren't that strong. Everything you told me, did you rethink it after you awakened as a scientist, or is it just something you grew up believing? Can you look me in the eyes and swear to me upon the honor of House Malfoy that if there's one untruth buried in what you said, one thing that got added on just to make Dumbledore look a little worse, you would have noticed? Draco started to open his mouth, and Harry said, Don't. Don't stain the honor of House Malfoy. You're not that strong yet, and you should know it. Listen, Draco, I've started to notice some worrying things myself, but there's nothing definite, nothing certain. It's all just deductions and hypotheses and untrustworthy witnesses. And there's nothing certain in your story either. 
Dumbledore might have had some other good reason not to fight Grindelwald years earlier. Though it would have to be a pretty good excuse, especially considering what was happening on the Muggle side of things. But still, is there one clearly evil thing that Dumbledore's done for certain so I don't have to wonder? Draco's breathing was harsh. All right, Draco said in an uneven voice. I'll tell you what Dumbledore did. From Draco's robes came a wand, and Draco said, Quietus. And then, Quietus. Again, but he got the pronunciation wrong a second time, and finally Harry took out his own wand and did it. Once upon a time, there was a girl, and her name was Narcissa, and she was the prettiest, the smartest, the most cunning girl that ever was sorted into Slytherin. And my father loved her, and they married. And she wasn't a Death Eater. She wasn't a fighter. All she ever did was love father. Draco stopped there because he was crying. Harry felt sick to his stomach. Draco had never talked about his mother, not once. He should have noticed that earlier. She got in the way of a curse? Draco's voice came out in a scream. Dumbledore burned her to death in her own bedroom! In a classroom filled with soft silver light, one boy is staring at another boy who is sobbing, wiping frantically at his eyes with the sleeves of his robes. It was hard for Harry to stay balanced, to keep withholding judgment. It was too emotional. There was something that either wanted to start tears from his own eyes in sympathy with Draco, or know that it wasn't true. Dumbledore burned her to death in her own bedroom! That... That didn't sound like Dumbledore's style. But you could only think that thought so many times before you started to wonder about the trustworthiness of that whole style concept. It... it must have hurt horribly, Draco said, his voice shaking. Father never talks about it at all. You don't ever talk about it in front of him. But Mr. McNair told me. There were scorch marks all over the bedroom from how Mother must have struggled while Dumbledore burned her alive! That is the debt Dumbledore owes to House Malfoy, and we will have his life for it! Draco, Harry said. He let all the hoarseness into his own voice. It would be wrong to sound calm. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry for asking, but I have to know. How do you know it was Dumble- Dumbledore said he did it. He told Father it was a warning. And Father couldn't testify under Veritas Serum because he was an Occlumens. He couldn't even get Dumbledore put on trial. Father's own allies didn't believe him after Dumbledore just denied everything in public. But we know. The Death Eaters know. Father wouldn't have any reason to lie about that. Father would want us to take revenge on the right person. Can't you see that, Harry? Draco's voice was wild. Unless Lucius did it himself, of course, and found it more convenient to blame Dumbledore. Although, it also didn't seem like Lucius's style. And if he had murdered Narcissa, it would have been smarter to pin the blame on an easier victim instead of losing political capital and credibility by going after Dumbledore. In time, Draco stopped crying and looked at Harry. Well, Draco said, sounding like he wanted to spit the words. 
Is that evil enough for you, Mr. Potter? Harry looked down at where his arms rested on the back of his chair. He couldn't meet Draco's eyes anymore. The pain in them was too raw. I wasn't expecting to hear that, Harry said softly. I don't know what to think anymore. You don't know? Draco's voice rose to a shriek and he stood up abruptly from his desk. I remembered the Dark Lord killing my parents, Harry said. When I went in front of the Dementor the first time, that was what I remembered, the worst memory, even though it was so long ago. I heard them dying. My mother begged the Dark Lord not to kill me. Not Harry, please no, take me, kill me instead. That's what she said. And the Dark Lord mocked her and laughed. Then, I remember, the flash of green light. Harry looked up at Draco. So we could fight. We could just keep on with the same fight. You could tell me that it was right for my mother to die because she was the wife of James who killed a Death Eater, but bad for your mother to die because she was innocent. And I could tell you that it was right for your mother to die, that Dumbledore must have had some reason that made it okay to burn her alive in her own bedroom, but bad for my mother to die. But you know, Draco, either way, wouldn't it be obvious that we were just being biased? Because the rule that says it's wrong to kill innocent people, that rule can't switch on for my mother and off for yours. And it can't switch on for your mother and off for mine. If you tell me that Lily was an enemy of the Death Eaters and it's right to kill your enemies, then the same rule says that Dumbledore was right to kill Narcissa, since she was his enemy. Harry's voice went hoarse. So, if the two of us are going to agree on anything, it's going to be that neither of their deaths were right, and that no one's mother should die anymore. The fury boiling inside Draco was so great that he could barely stop himself from storming out of the room. All that halted him was the recognition of a critical moment, and a small remnant of friendship, a tiny flash of sympathy, for he had forgotten, he'd forgotten, that Harry's mother and father were dead by the Dark Lord's hand. The silence stretched. You can talk, Harry said. Draco, talk to me, I won't get angry. Are you thinking, I don't know, that Narcissa dying was much worse than Lily dying? That it's wrong for me to even make the comparison? I guess I was stupid too, Draco said. All this time. All this time, I forgot that you must hate the Death Eaters for killing your parents. Hate the Death Eaters the way I hate Dumbledore. And Harry had never said anything, never reacted when Draco talked about Death Eaters, kept it hidden. Draco was a fool. No, Harry said. It's not, it's not like that, Draco. I, I, I don't even know how to explain it to you, except to say that a thought like that wouldn't... Harry's voice choked. You wouldn't ever be able to use it to cast the Patronus charm. Draco felt a sudden wrench in his heart, unwanted, but he felt it. Are you pretending you're just going to forget about your own parents? Are you saying I should just forget about mother? So you and I have to be enemies then. Now Harry's voice was growing equally wild. What have we ever done to each other that means we have to be enemies? I refuse to be trapped like that. Justice can't mean that both of us should attack each other. It doesn't make sense. Harry stopped, took a deep breath, 
ran his fingers back through the deliberate mess of his hair. The fingers came away sweaty, Draco could see. Draco, listen, we can't expect to meet on everything right away, you and I. So I won't ask you to say that the Dark Lord was wrong to kill my mother. Just say that it was... sad. We won't talk about whether or not it was necessary, whether it was justified. I'll just ask you to say that it was sad that it happened, that my mother's life was valuable too. You'll just say that for now. And I'll say that it was sad that Narcissa died, because her life was also worth something. We can't expect to agree on everything right away, but if we start out by saying that every life is precious, that it's sad when anyone dies, then I know we'll meet someday. That's what I want you to say. Not who was right, not who was wrong. Just that it was sad when your mother died, and sad when my mother died, and it would be sad if Hermione Granger died. Every life is precious. Can we agree on that and let the rest go by for now? Is it enough if we just agree on that? Can we, Draco? That seems more like a thought someone could use to cast the Patronus charm. There were tears in Harry's eyes. And Draco was getting angry again. Dumbledore killed Mother. It's not enough just to say it's sad. I don't understand what you think you have to do, but the Malfoys have to take revenge. Not avenging the deaths of family went beyond weakness, beyond dishonor. You might as well not exist. I'm not arguing with that, Harry said quietly. But will you say that Lily Potter's death was sad? Just say that one thing. That's... Draco was having difficulty finding words again. I know, I know how you feel. But don't you see, Harry? Even if I just say that Lily Potter's death was sad... That's already going against the Death Eaters. Draco, you've got to be able to say the Death Eaters were wrong about some things. You have to. You can't progress as a scientist otherwise. There'll be a roadblock in your way, an authority you can't contradict. Not every change is an improvement, but every improvement is a change. You can't do anything better unless you can manage to do it differently. You've got to let yourself do better than other people. Even your father, Draco. Even him. You've got to be able to point to something your father did and say it was mistaken. Because he wasn't perfect, and if you can't say that, you can't do better. Father had warned him, every night before he went to sleep for a month before he went to Hogwarts, that there would be people with this goal. You're trying to break me loose of father. Trying to break a part of you loose. Trying to let you fix some things your father got mistaken. Trying to let you do better. But not trying to break your Patronus. Harry's voice got softer. I wouldn't want to break something bright like that. Who knows, fixing Slytherin House might need that too. It was getting to Draco. That was the thing. Despite everything, it was getting to him. You had to be really careful around Harry because his arguments sounded so convincing even when he was wrong. And what you're not admitting is that Dumbledore told you that you could avenge your parents' deaths by taking Lord Malfoy's son from him. No! No! That part's just wrong. Harry took a deep breath. I did not know who Dumbledore was, or who the Dark Lord was, or who the Death Eaters were, or how my parents died, until three days before I came to Hogwarts. 
The day you and I first met in the clothes shop, that was the day I learned. And Dumbledore doesn't even like muggle science. Or he says he doesn't. I got a chance to probe him on it once. The thought of taking revenge on the Death Eaters through you has never crossed my mind. Not even once until now. I didn't even know who the Malfoys were when I met you in the clothes shop. And then I liked you. There was a long silence. I wish I could trust you, Draco said. His voice was shaking. If I could just know you were telling the truth, everything would be so much simpler. And then, suddenly it came to Draco. The way to know whether Harry Potter really meant everything he said. About wanting to fix Slytherin House. About being sad that Mother had died. It would be illegal. And since he'd have to do it without Father's help, it would be dangerous. He couldn't even trust Harry Potter to help. But... Alright, Draco said. I've thought of a definitive experiment. What is it? I want to give you a drop of Veritaserum. Just one drop so you can't lie, but not enough to make you answer anything. I don't know where I'll get it, but I'll make certain it's safe. Um, Harry said. There was a helpless look on his face. Draco, um... Don't say it, Draco said. His voice was firm and calm. If you say no, that's my experimental result right there. Draco, I'm an Occlumens. Oh, that is such a lie! I was trained by Mr. Bester. Professor Quirrell set it up. Look, Draco, I'll take one drop of Veritaserum if you can get it. I'm just warning you that I'm an Occlumens. Not a perfect Occlumens, but Mr. Bester said I was putting up a complete block, and I could probably beat Veritaserum. You're in your first year at Hogwarts. That's just crazy. No Alagilimans you can trust? I'll be happy to demonstrate. Look, Draco, I'm sorry, but doesn't the fact that I told you count for something? I could have just let you do it, you know? Why? Why are you always like this, Harry? Why do you have to mess everything up when it's impossible? And stop smiling. This isn't funny. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know it's not funny. I... It took a while for Draco to get himself under control. But Harry was right. Harry could have just let Draco administer the Veritaserum. If he really was an Occlumens... Draco didn't know who he could ask to try legilimency, but he could at least ask Professor Quirrell if it was true. Could Draco trust Professor Quirrell? Maybe Professor Quirrell would just say anything Harry asked him to. Then Draco remembered the other thing Harry had told him to ask Professor Quirrell, and thought of a different test. You know, said Draco, you know what it costs me if I agree that the poison in Slytherin's house is hating Muggleborns, and say that Lily Potter's death was sad. And that's part of your plan. Don't tell me it's not. Harry said nothing, which was wise of him. There's something I want from you in return, and before then, an experimental test I want to try. Draco pushed open the door to which the portraits had directed them, and this time it was the right door. Before them was a small empty place of stone set against the night sky. Not a roof like the one he dropped Harry from, but a tiny and proper courtyard far above the ground. With proper railings, elaborate traceries of stone that flushed seamlessly into the stone floor, 
How so much artistry had been infused into the creation of Hogwarts was something that still awed Draco every time he thought about it. There must have been some way to do it all at once. No one could have detailed so much piece by piece. The castle changed and every new piece was like that. It was so far beyond the wizardry of these fading days that no one would have believed it if they hadn't seen the proof in Hogwarts itself. Cloudless and cold, the winter night sky. It got dark long before students' curfew in the final days of January. The stars shining brightly in the clear air. Harry had said that being under the stars would help him. Draco touched his chest with his wand, slid his fingers in a practiced motion, and said, They're moss. A warmth spread through him, starting from his heart. The wind went on blowing on his face, but he was no longer cold. Thermos, Harry's voice said behind him. They went together to the railing to look down at the ground a long way below. Draco tried to figure if they were in one of the towers that could be seen from outside, and found that right now he couldn't quite seem to picture how Hogwarts looked from outside. But the ground below was always the same. He could see the forbidden forest as a vague outline and moonlight glittering from the Hogwarts lake. You know, Harry's voice said quietly from beside him where his arms leaned on the railing next to Draco's. One of the things that muggles get really wrong is that they don't turn all their lights out at night. Not even for one hour every month. Not even for 15 minutes once a year. The photons scatter in the atmosphere and wash out all but the brightest stars. And the night sky doesn't look the same at all. Not unless you go far away from any cities. Once you've looked up at the sky over Hogwarts, it's hard to imagine living in a muggle city where you wouldn't be able to see the stars. You certainly wouldn't want to spend your whole life in muggle cities once you'd seen the night sky over Hogwarts. Draco glanced at Harry and found that Harry was craning his neck to stare up at where the Milky Way arced across the darkness. Of course, you can't ever see the stars properly from Earth either. The air always gets in the way. You have to look from somewhere else if you want to see the real thing. The stars burning hard and bright like their true selves. Have you ever wished that you could just whisk yourself up into the night sky, Draco, and go look at what there is to see around other suns than ours? If there were no limit to the power of your magic, is that one of the things you would do if you could do anything? There was a silence, and then Draco realized that he was expected to answer. I didn't think of it before, Draco said. Without any conscious decision, his voice came out as soft and hushed as Harry's. Do you really think anyone would ever be able to do that? I don't think it'll be that easy, but I know I don't mean to spend my whole life on Earth. It would have been something to laugh at if Draco hadn't known that some muggles had already left without even using magic. To pass your test, Harry said, I'm going to have to say what it means to me, that thought, the whole thing, not the shorter version I tried to explain to you before. But you should be able to see it's the same idea, only more general. So my version of the thought, Draco, is that when we go out into the stars, we might find other people there. And if so, they certainly won't look like we do. There might be things out there that are grown from crystal, or big pulsating blobs. Or they might be made of magic, now that I think about it. So with all that strangeness, how do you recognize a person? Not by the shape, not by how many arms or legs it has, not by the sort of substance it's made out of, whether that's flesh or crystal or stuff I can't imagine. You would have to recognize them as people from their minds. 
and even their minds wouldn't work just like ours do. But anything that lives and thinks and knows itself and doesn't want to die, it's sad, Draco. It's sad if that person has to die because it doesn't want to. Compared to what might be out there, every human being who ever lived were all like brothers and sisters. You could hardly even tell us apart. The ones out there who met us, they wouldn't see British or French. They wouldn't be able to tell the difference. They'd just see a human being. Humans who can love and hate and laugh and cry. And to them, the ones out there, that would make us all as alike as peas in the same pod. They would be different though. Really different. But that wouldn't stop us and it wouldn't stop them if we both wanted to be friends together. Harry raised his wand then, and Draco turned and looked away, as he had promised, looked toward the stone floor and stone wall in which the door was set. For Draco had promised not to look, and not to tell anyone of what Harry had said, or anything at all of what happened here this night, though he didn't know why it was to be so secret. I have a dream, said Harry's voice, that one day sentient beings will be judged by the pattern of their minds, and not their color, or their shape, or the stuff they're made of, or who their parents were. Because if we can get along with crystal things someday, how silly would it be not to get along with muggleborns, who are shaped like us, and think like us, as alike to us as peas in a pod? The crystal things wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. How impossible is it to imagine that the hatred poisoning House Slytherin would be worth taking with us to the stars? Every life is precious. Everything that thinks and knows itself and doesn't want to die. Lily Potter's life was precious, and Narcissa Malfoy's life was precious. Even though it's too late for them now, it was sad when they died. But there are other lives that are still alive to be fought for. Your life, and my life, and Hermione Granger's life all the lives of Earth, and all the lives beyond, to be defended and protected. EXPECTO PATRONUM! And there was light. Everything turned to silver in that light. The stone floor, the stone wall, the door, the railings. So dazzling just in the reflection that you could hardly even see them. Even the air seemed to shine, and the light grew brighter, and brighter, and brighter. When the light ended, it was like a shock. Draco's hand went automatically to his robe to bring out a handkerchief, and it was only then that he realized he was crying. There is your experimental result, Harry's voice said quietly. I really did mean it, that thought. Draco slowly turned toward Harry, who had lowered his wand now. That... that's got to be a trick, right? Draco said. He couldn't take many more of these shocks. Your Patronus can't really be that bright. And yet it had been Patronus light. Once you knew what you were looking at, you couldn't mistake it for anything else. That was the true form of the Patronus charm. Something that lets you put all your strength into the Patronus, without hindrance from within yourself. And before you ask, I did not learn it from Dumbledore. He doesn't know the secret, and could not cast the true form if he did. I solved the puzzle for myself. And I knew, once I understood, that this spell must not be spoken of. For your sake, I undertook your test, but you must not speak of it, Draco. Draco didn't know any more. 
He didn't know where the true strength lay, or the right of things. Double vision. Double vision. Draco wanted to call Harry's ideals weakness, Hufflepuff foolishness, the sort of lie that rulers told to placate the populace and that Harry had been silly enough to believe for himself. Foolishness taken seriously and raised up to insane heights, projected out onto the stars themselves. Something beautiful and hidden, mysterious and bright. Will I be able to cast a Patronus like that someday? If you always keep seeking the truth, Harry said, and if you don't refuse the warm thoughts when you find them, then I'm sure you will. I think a person could get anywhere if they just kept going long enough, even to the stars. Draco wiped his eyes with his handkerchief again. We should go back inside, Draco said in an unsteady voice. Someone could have seen it, all that light. Harry nodded and moved to and through the door, and Draco looked up at the night sky one last time before he followed. Who was the boy who lived that he was already an Occlumens and could cast the true form of the Patronus charm and do other strange things? What was Harry's Patronus? Why must it stay unseen? Draco didn't ask any of those questions because Harry might have answered and Draco just couldn't take any more shocks today. He just couldn't. One more shock and his head was going to just fall right off his shoulders and go bounce, bounce, bounce down the corridors of Hogwarts. They ducked into a small alcove instead of going all the way back to the classroom, at Draco's request. He was feeling too nervous to put it off any longer. Draco put up a quieting barrier and then looked at Harry in silent question. I've been thinking about it. Harry said. I'll do it, but there are five conditions. Five? Yes, five. Look, Draco, a pledge like this is just begging to go terribly wrong somehow. You know it would go wrong if this were a play. Well, it's not. Dumbledore killed Mother. He's evil. It's one of those things you talk about that doesn't have to be complicated. Draco, Harry said, his voice careful. All I know is that you say that Lucius says that Dumbledore says he killed Narcissa. To believe that unquestioningly, I have to trust you and Lucius and Dumbledore. So like I said, there are conditions. The first one is that at any point, you can release me from the pledge if it no longer seems like a good idea. It has to be a deliberate and intended decision on your part, of course. Not a trick of wording or something. Okay, said Draco. That sounded safe enough. Condition two is that I'm pledging to take as an enemy whoever actually did kill Narcissa, as determined to the honest best of my ability as a rationalist, whether that's Dumbledore or someone else. And you have my word that I'll exercise my best ability as a rationalist to keep that judgment honest, as a question of simple fact. Agreed? I don't like it. He didn't. The whole point was to make sure Harry never went with Dumbledore. Still, if Harry was honest, he'd catch on to Dumbledore soon enough. And if dishonest, he'd already broken his word. But I'll agree. Condition three is that Narcissa has to have been burned alive. If that part of the story turns out to be something exaggerated just to make it sound a little worse, then I get to decide for myself whether or not to still go through with the pledge. Good people sometimes have to kill. 
but they don't ever torture people to death. It's because Narcissa was burned alive that I know whoever did that was evil. Draco kept his temper barely. Condition four is that if Narcissa got her own hands dirty and, say, crucioed someone's child into insanity, and that person burned Narcissa for revenge, the deal might be off again. Because then it was still wrong for them to burn her. They should have just killed her without pain. But it wasn't evil, the same way as if she was just Lucius's love, who never did anything herself, like you said. Condition five is that if whoever killed Narcissa was tricked somehow into doing it, then my enemy is whoever tricked them, not the person who was tricked. All this really sounds like you're planning to weasel out of it. Draco, I won't take a good person as an enemy. Not for you or anyone. I have to really believe they're in the wrong. But I've thought about it, and it seems to me that if Narcissa didn't do any evil with her own hands, just fell in love with Lucius and chose to stay his wife, then whoever burned her alive in her own bedroom isn't likely to be a good guy. And I'll pledge to take as my enemy whoever made that happen, whether it's Dumbledore or anyone else, unless you deliberately release me from that pledge. Hopefully, that won't go wrong the way it would if this were a play. I'm not happy. But okay, you pledge to take my mother's murderer as your enemy, and I'll... Harry waited with a patient look on his face while Draco tried to make his voice work again. I'll help you fix the problem with Slytherin House hating Muggleborns. Draco finished it in a whisper. And I'll say it was sad that Lily Potter died. So be it, said Harry. And it was done. The break... Draco knew, had just widened a little more. No, not a little, a lot. There was a sensation of drifting away, of being lost, further and further from shore, further and further from home. Excuse me, Draco said. He turned away from Harry, and then he tried to calm himself. He had to do this test, and he didn't want to fail it from being nervous or ashamed. Draco raised his wand into the starting position for the Patronus charm. Remembered falling from his broomstick, the pain, the fear. Imagined it coming from a tall figure in a cloak, looking like a dead thing left in water. And then Draco closed his eyes, the better to remember father holding his small, cold hands in his own warm strength. Don't be frightened, my son. I'm here. The wand swung up in a broad brandish to drive the fear away, and Draco was surprised at the strength of it. And he remembered in that moment that father wasn't lost, would never be lost, would always be there and strong in his own person, no matter what happened to Draco. And his voice cried, Expecto Patronum! Draco opened his eyes. A shining snake looked back at him, no less bright than before. Behind him, he heard Harry exhale a breath, as though in relief. Draco gazed into the white light. It seemed he wasn't lost completely after all. That reminds me, Harry said after a while. Can we test my hypothesis about how to use a Patronus to send messages? Is it going to surprise me? I don't want any more surprises today. End second part of chapter 47
Harry's Patronus theme is Protect Life by Eric Serra. The original text for this chapter can be found at hpmor.com. A link is included in this file's description. Recordings, questions, and comments can be sent to hpmorpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word at your social forum of choice. If you're interested in learning more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening and come back next week for the conclusion to Chapter 47 and Chapter 48, Utilitarian Priorities.